0: to you from Journey Church this morning, Mr. Andrew Dole. He's going to be bringing God's word with us from Philippians chapter 2 this morning. And uh, again, such a blessing to have them here with us uh, this week. And I look forward to a wonderful message, brother. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you guys for having us. Good morning. Um, We just want to thank you guys for your hospitality this week, letting us sleep here, uh, letting us serve here in your community. Um, We are very excited to see what God's going to do. Um, I'm just excited to see what God's going to do in the hearts of my students um, and our leaders as well. And I pray that uh, we can make as much of an impact on you guys as you guys have done for us. So we really appreciate that. If you guys would, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Um, and while we do that, uh, let me tell you guys a little bit about myself. Um, I'm Andrew Doyle, and I'm a youth intern at Journey Church in Joplin, Missouri. Uh, when I was a kid, I thought that I was the best at everything. I thought that I was the best student in school because I was the teacher's pet. I thought I was the best basketball player on the court because I brought my ball to recess. I thought that I was the funniest person in the world because I could make people laugh. I also thought that I was the greatest citizen in the entire world because I was a Boy Scout. These things led to me telling people that I was the best or my actions would make them assume that that's what I was thinking in my brain. But to be honest, I didn't have a lot to boast about. I didn't. I was an average AB student, an average athlete, an annoying kid who thought he was funny, but I was actually a good citizen because I was a Boy Scout. I can definitely boast about that. I'm just kidding. I was a kid who thought really highly of himself, and there wasn't really a whole lot for me to brag about. A lot of us carry pride around with us in our everyday lives. We think too highly of ourselves, and sometimes we refuse help when we need it. Or we just think that we're better than the person standing next to us. If we compare that to Jesus Christ, we see a landslide. Christ, the creator of the universe, who had everything to boast about, everybody everybody deserves to give him all the honor and glory. And Jesus emptied himself of all of that. When having everything to boast about, Christ remained humble. Now, if you guys would stand with me as we read God's word. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. And being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thank you, guys. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. This morning, I would like to present to you guys three main points from this text, and it's first, that we are all called to be united in Christ with one another. Number two, that we are called to imitate Christ's humility. And number three, that Jesus is the example of exaltation after humility, right? Let me read the first four verses for you guys again. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. We have to notice right from the beginning, right from the beginning, that The first word is either so or therefore, depending on the translation. And this means that he's referring to what he's already talked about. In Philippians so far, Paul is thanking the church for their partnership in the gospel with him. They're praying for the growth and that they will grow to love one another deeply. These people were worried about Paul. They had a deep care for him as well. He gives them peace that his suffering and his current imprisonment is to advance the gospel even further. What is directly in front of the passage that we're looking at today is Paul's conversation with himself of whether or not to live or to die would be a better thing. But to live is Christ, is what he says. He knew that by death, he would be united with Christ in glory, but he knew that to live is Christ, that every single breath that he breathes is Jesus. Every single difficulty and struggle, even the current things that he is going through, is all for the glory of Christ Jesus, our King. With that mentality, he challenges the Philippian church to unite in spirit and mind. And to challenge them, he further elaborates that here in chapter 2. His first point is that we are to be united with one another in mind and in spirit. Paul tells them, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, Paul asks the Philippians three rhetorical questions here. And it's clear and obvious what the answers to those questions are. All of us believers know the answers to these questions. Of course, we know that there is encouragement found in Jesus Christ. Of course, we know that there's comfort in Christ's love for us. And of course, we know that as a Christian, we have the participation of the Spirit and that we know the affection and the mercy of God. Duh, right? This is like asking can a fish swim? Is the Pope Catholic? Do dogs bark? Do birds fly? We know the answers to these questions. Paul is making very clear here from right from the beginning that these are things that we experience as believers in Jesus. These are things that the people of the Philippian church understand. So he's telling them, all of you have to listen to what I'm about to say because you know these things. right? He's saying as a believer of Christ, we understand these things. And so in verse 2, he says, fulfill my joy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul is giving them a personal request here. As the founder of their church, he's pleading them to find unity and to be in full accord with one another. This means a deep abiding and internal unity. Not just a basic agreement on things, but a deep abiding unity. One that is found on the same goal. And the same mission one with the same motivations and actions one that is loves together serves together weeps together rejoices together and prays together we as the body of Christ are to strive alongside one another for the same goal and the same purpose I've had the pleasure of being a captain for both my high school and my college soccer teams I've loved playing the game I absolutely love it I love building relationships with my teammates and my coaches and sometimes the opponents as well. In athletics, it's important for a team to be unified, striving for the same goal. And as captain of the team, my job is to lead people to that goal. In high school, it was very difficult for me to lead everybody to the same goal. Because we didn't have the same focus Sure, we all had some of the basic concepts in mind. We wanted to win a championship, right? We wanted to beat our rivals, right? Maybe we wanted to score a certain amount of goals in the season. We all, we all had those things that were important to us as a team, but ultimately, our, the things that, that uh, led to our actions and our motivations behind those were different. Some of us were playing sports to be popular. Some of us wanted to get a college scholarship. Some of us wanted to just play for fun. We all had a different motivation for playing the game. In college, it's a completely different story. I've been blessed with a great team. We all come and we play for the same purpose. None of us have a scholarship. None of us are required to be there. But man, we have fun and we give glory to God. We're not trying to beat any records. We're not trying to win a certain amount of games. Our goal is as we walk on that field, we're gonna build up and we're gonna encourage one another. All of us have that same mindset. And because we have that same mindset, we are united. We walk on that field and we're a brotherhood. With that goal in mind, our actions and our attitudes are united and we're in step with one another. And Paul calls the Philippian church to be just like that, with our actions and our attitudes unified, centered on the same goal, and that is Jesus. The only thing that matters Paul continues in verse 3 describing how our fleshly desires can get in the way of unity. He says, do nothing of selfish ambition or vain conceit. If you look up the definition of conceit in the dictionary, it's an excessively favorable opinion of one own ability, importance, or wit. When we live with this feeling that we are so important or so able or so talented, we are outside of God's will. We are working against the unity that Paul is pleading for here. Right? Paul tells them to count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own desires, but more importantly, to the desires of other people. This is the opposite of what the world around you is teaching. It's the opposite of when you leave these doors today, it's the opposite of what the Bible is trying to tell us to do here. The world is pushing for us to make the best version of ourselves, to make money, to have a certain job. Right? These things in themselves are not bad, but what they do is they lead to selfishness and conceit. We use them as measurable tools to say, look at me, look at me, I've got this much money or I've got this job, I've got a higher position you, I'm better than you, right? These positions, the world will tell you, will lead you to be happy. They'll, they'll tell you that this will satisfy you, right? The world is, telling, is defining our goals and our motivations for us. And they are different than what the Bible tells us. Right? We can turn on the news and we can see disunity. We can walk into Walmart and we can see disunity. Sometimes we can see disunity inside of the church. And that is because our goal and our focus is not the same. We cannot pursue the elevation of ourselves and glorify God at the same time. It's not possible. We are called to elevate others, the other people around us. We are called to consider them more significant than ourselves. We are to look at the interests of others before we even look at our own. And this is the opposite of what the world is telling us to do. The world doesn't tell us to look out for other people more than ourselves. The world tells us to, we're most important. It's all about us. The good thing is, we have an example of what it looks like to put others before ourselves in the act of humility. Let's take another look at verses 5 through 8. right. "'Have this mind among yourselves, "'which is yours in Christ Jesus, "'who though he was in the form of God, "'did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, "'but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, "'being born in the likeness of men. "'And being found in human form, "'he humbled himself by becoming obedient "'to the point of death.' even death on a cross. We have an example here of Jesus. He says to have this mind among ourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality to be something to be grasped. Right? The second point that we see here is that we are called to imitate Christ's humility. We are called as believers in Christ to follow in his footsteps of selflessness. The first thing we must notice in verse 5 is that Paul specifically writes, Have this mind. In other translations, let your mind. Humility is a choice. Humility is a choice. It's all too easiest for us to read the following description of Jesus here and admire it from a distance. God wants us to be awed by it. I'm awed by it. Man, the gospel is amazing. I am awed that Jesus would come and humble himself for me. But it's all too easy for us to just admire Jesus. We must enter into it and imitate it. That is what we're called to do. Man, we can stand and look at Jesus and all we want. But you're called to enter and to imitate this mind, this mindset, this choice is only possible in Christ. We can never choose to live in humility without Christ. We could only walk in humility if we choose to because He gave us the option to. Right? We are naturally sinful. When we wake up, we can choose sin or we can choose God. And a lot of times... We choose the wrong thing, right? Humility is a choice. You have to wake up every morning and you have to choose to let other people go before yourself because you're not not naturally going to do that. I've tried it. It doesn't work. Paul continues on to say, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born In the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ is our ultimate example of humility. Jesus was in the form of God. Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus did not begin to exist when he was born in a manger on Bethlehem. He was the eternal God, the creator of the universe. Right? Paul writes in Colossians, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is supreme. He is superior to all, right? He is deserving of all of our worship, and all of our praise, and all of the honor and the glory. But instead, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Jesus emptied himself and chose not to cling to his own deserved glory, so that way he could come to the world as a servant. The almighty one, the one who created you and me, the world around us, and the one who's in control of all things, chose to be a servant. You don't see a king fighting on the front lines, and you don't see a CEO cleaning the bathrooms. We serve a different leader, one that is unlike any other. He entered this world that he created, interacted with the people that he created, not as a king or a high-status individual, but as a servant. He did not cling to the power that he deserved, that he had already, but he emptied himself and took the form of a servant. He didn't rid himself of his deity, his attributes, or his equality with God, but he humbled himself to come to this earth in the form of a man, a servant, so that he could serve us who are completely undeserving of that. Christ humbled himself through his obedience to God. Verse 9 says that in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' humility extends all the way to the lowest of the lows. Christ humbled himself from the top to the bottom. He was humble in the form that he took a man and not a more glorious creature like an angel. He was humble in that he was born in an obscure, oppressed place. He was humble in the fact that he was born into poverty among despised people. He was humble that he, that he born as a child instead of appearing as a man. He was humble in submitting to the obedience appropriate to a child in a household. He was humble in learning and practicing a trade and a humble trade of a builder. He was humble in his long way until he launched out into his public ministry. He was humble in his companions and disciples that he chose to be with him. He was humble in the audience he appealed to in the way that he taught. He was humble in the temptations that he allowed and endured. He was humble in the weakness, hunger, thirst, and tiredness that he endured. He was humble in his total obedience to his heavenly Father. And he was humble in his submission to the Holy Spirit. He was humble in choosing and submitting to death on a cross. And he was humble in the agony of his death. He was humble in the shame, mocking, and public humiliation of his death. And he was humble in enduring the spiritual agony of his sacrifice on the cross. Christ humbled himself to the point of death. Jesus chose humility, knowing that by that choice, the cross would be waiting for him. He chose suffering and humiliation over sitting at the right hand of the Father. He chose obedience knowing he would suffer and he would die. And he did that for you and I. He did that so we could have a relationship with him. He did that so we could receive salvation. He did that for the glory of God. Crucifixion was the most humiliating and shameful act that was even known to mankind. Crucifixion was done by the Romans to send an example to the citizens, to expose vile criminals. And it was done publicly so that all could see and know the message that was being sent. It was humiliating and absolutely and horrifically painful. Christ came down from heaven so he could die in the most despised way that he could. A condemned criminal on a cursed tree, hung naked and exposed, suffering from pain and agony, struggling for every breath, being mocked and scorned by the people watching, all for a crime that he didn't even commit. He did that for you. He did that for the crime that you committed. He did that so your sins could be forgiven and that the gap that sin brings between man and God could be restored. And Christ's sacrifice was good enough because he was fully God. He is the only, only worthy sacrifice of our sins. He lived perfectly without sin. So that way his blood was enough to cover our sins for the entire world. His sacrifice is enough because he's fully God. He can also cover sin because he was like us, fully man. He took on the nature and he was tempted the exact same ways that we are tempted. He was fully God and He was fully man. He is the only worthy sacrifice to cover and atone for our sins. The third point that we can see in this text is that Jesus is the example of exaltation after humility. Read with me in verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ did not elevate himself. Christ humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. His humility was ultimately to bring glory to God. That was his motivation. His humility allowed him to be the substitution for our sin. He took the beatings that we deserved. He took the mockings that should have been made towards us. And he died the death that we deserve. Because Christ humbled himself, God the Father exalted him to his rightly place. Christ did not elevate himself. God the Father placed him where he deserves to be, on the throne, and gave him all of the honor and the glory that he deserves. And that is that therefore God is highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that Jesus, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God gave Christ the name Yahweh, which is the name above every name. It is a clear statement of Jesus' deity. Because of Christ's humility at his name, the entire universe is humbled, and he is exalted. We are now in submission to the name of Jesus. If we believe in him and confess that he is Lord, we are in joyful, joyful submission to King Jesus who bled and died for us and is now exalted over all. Not only are we in submission, but those in heaven and those on earth and those under you. Meaning that all of Jesus' creation is now honor and glory to him. We can recognize the superiority of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He is deserving of every ounce of our praise and our glory. And as we enter a time of response, I want to bring back the first point that we dug into. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We as believers are called to be selfless and to pursue unity, but it's a choice. Our unity is founded on a goal, and that goal is to glorify God. Jesus' goal in his humble obedience was to bring glory to God. If we're wanting to be like Christ, we must humble ourselves and exalt Jesus. Every morning you wake up, you must humble yourselves. And exalt Jesus. He must increase. So I have to decrease. I must decrease. It's so easy to say. And I'll be the first to admit. I'm extremely prideful. I'm selfish. And some mornings I wake up. And I refuse to choose humility. I choose my own personal glory. I am in need of a savior. I am in need of a king that shows me what it looks like to humble myself into obedience. And I am in need of a king that makes me bow on my knees and give praise because my life's not about me. It's not about me. The church isn't about me. It's about Christ who humbled himself to the point of humiliation and death on a cross. For Christ to increase in my life I have to decrease. For Christ to increase in your life, you must decrease. You cannot elevate yourself and give glory to God at the same time. And maybe there's something in your life that gets in the way of glorifying God. Maybe you've never accepted Christ into your heart and you you don't know this true unity of what it, what it means to be a believer in Christ, to be a part of the body of Christ. I want you guys to know this altar is open this morning, right? Make a decision. Make a change. Because we cannot walk out of this room just like we came in and expect change to happen. I can't do that. We have to choose humility, We have to choose to make the person next to us more important than ourselves all of the time because we're naturally, naturally going to elevate ourselves. This altar is open this morning. Lay it all down at the feet of Jesus, the one who loved you to the point of death, even death on a cross, Glorify God this morning and always. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We are so thankful for the example of humility that Jesus has given us. God, we don't know how to humble ourselves on our own, God. I pray that we feel the need, we feel compulsed to imitate what Christ has done that we consider everybody else around us more significant than ourselves we don't strive after our own glory but we strive after glorifying you in everything that we do God you're amazing we're so thankful for your sacrifice to the people who least deserve it but thank you for emptying yourself of all of the glory that you deserved so that I could have salvation. Thank you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville, or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.